Dear friends, hope you had a great summer vacation. In this episode, we have Professor Bart van Arum, who has received the lead award of IEEE ITS as our special guest from TU Delft University. He will talk about intelligent vehicles and their impact on our lives. Also, he will talk about his activities and his lab in TU Delft. As usual, we are starting with a short news mini section. Then Professor Haluk Erin from Farat University, Turkey, will continue with a review of a book about transportation networks. This is the news mini section for episode 48, September 2018, and this is Dr. Mayam Kavishkar. One of the main names of driverless car industry, Waymo, is heading to China. Waymo is setting up an office in Shanghai's free trade zone. According to a filing with China's National Enterprise Credit Information Publicity System, a business registration website, this will be considered a base for its parent company Alphabet in China. Especially since Google is considering reopening its search engine behind a Great Wall, they will test and design autonomous vehicle parts and products. Yale Zhang, managing director of Shanghai Consultancy Automotive Foresight. Said many Chinese car makers are small and don't have the resources to develop autonomous driving systems on their own, while larger players will be forced to keep pace with Waymo. For Waymo, the attraction is clear: China is the world's largest auto market. Waymo is facing a serious opposition from Baidu. Baidu is the Chinese search engine, and as the central government has mentioned, it is also the national champion in self-driving initiative. There is one more problem. In China, high-definition mapping is strictly controlled, and driverless cars are highly depending on it. The only companies licensed to provide mapping are Chinese, including Baidu, Alibaba, and Tencent. All three backing separate driverless car projects. So far, BMW and Daimler are the only companies provided permission to test their autonomous cars on Chinese roads. Waymo has to obtain the permission and has to face more difficulties on road like more number of pedestrians and electric bicycles. In the other continent, in Canada, the city of Vancouver is given a special budget to be prepared for future driverless cars. Dale Bracewell, manager of transportation planning, said technological advances are changing how Vancouver's future is seen when it comes to transit and transportation. He did not mention when the city will be ready for driverless cars. However, as a part of the planned issue that the city would have to focus on before introducing a fleet of driverless cars is wireless connectivity, because of the problems that could result with the vehicle if there is an insufficient wireless network. In the autonomous driving 2018 conference in Novi, Michigan, Jack Wist, senior principal engineer. And chief system architect of autonomous driving solutions at Intel introduces RSS, responsibility sensitive safety. According to Jack, synthetic testing is not enough to safeguard the safety of the passengers of autonomous car. By taking advantage of a set of sensors and a mathematical approach, Intel's RSS monitors the vehicle. These are the algorithms that tell the vehicle how close to follow the front vehicle. Or how close is safe to the car in the next lane. When there is violation, the car will correct it. In essence, it will reduce the speed to establish the safe distance. Scenarios are countless, and RSS from Intel is working on it. Did you know 
that there is shortage of 50,000 truck drivers in US only? Well, this makes semi-trucks an easy goal for driverless car developers, and a new startup is getting the business. It is called Kodiak Robotics, co-founded by Don Burnett. Previously, he was the co-founder of Auto, the section of Uber making autonomous trucks. Left it in April, and a few weeks ago, Uber shot its autonomous truck program. Kodiak will be joining other startups like Starsky Robotics and Sweden's Einride, which is so convinced it won't need a human on board. Kodiak believes that semi-truck development could move faster. Freight won't complain as much about a slightly jerky ride. And if engineers focus on highway and interstate driving, that constrains the problem by removing cyclists, pedestrians and traffic lights. You get on road, stick in the right lane and don't hit the thing in front of you, says Burnett. This is certainly a good start but definitely not replacing the truck drivers yet. Reuters reports from San Francisco that Lyft has already surpassed 5,000 rides with its driverless cars, a serious competitor for Uber. Lyft is partnered with a high-tech auto parts supplier, Aptiv, early this year. The company is developing its own self-driving system, but they are not quite sure when it will be ready for streets. Well, that is for news in this episode. Now let's listen to Haluk who had reviewed a book about Vulnerability Analysis for Transportation Networks. Go ahead, Haluk. This is the book review section for ITS podcast. Read by Dr. Haluk Aran, Fırat University, Elazığ, Turkey. The book title is Vulnerability Analysis for Transportation Networks and consists of 274 pages. Produced by Elsevier in 2018. Written by Michael Taylor. Vulnerability analysis for transportation networks refers to a comprehensive framework for understanding all modes transportation networks, while it is partly failed or substantially degraded due to congestion incidents, natural disasters, road crashes, extreme weather conditions or road repair. Collapsing the bridge in Italy is a good up-to-date example, integrating many resultant components into the road vulnerability. The present book combines the concepts, theories and methods with existing approach to network vulnerability, exemplifying case studies around the world. It mentions about applications for different approaches, including the critical locations and infrastructure components in the networks, the estimation of the potential impacts of network degradation or failure, and the planning and design for remedial actions in the case of failures. There are eight chapters in the book. Chapter 1 gives a detailed introduction. Chapter 2 handles critical infrastructure systems on transportation. It discusses the potential reliance of the transportation and the other infrastructure systems, like the energy supply system, to understand the interaction between them. Here the vulnerability and resilience are elaborated as well. 
and the chapter introduces an outline for a vulnerability analysis framework. Chapter 3 states the essential approaches to vulnerability analysis, which are risk-based inventory analysis, topology, serviceability, and accessibility-based analysis. It consists of conceptual and theoretical sides of these approaches, including risk-based inventory studies and an introduction to topological methods. Chapter 4 mentions about the serviceability methods involving in road networks and their functionality. Chapter 5 handles the accessibility-based methods oriented to studies representing social and economic impacts of network deficiency. Chapter 6 addresses vulnerability analysis of public rail transport systems, such as subway, underground, or metro systems, for which topological methods are developed. These types of systems encapsulate new serviceability analysis of transit systems in static and dynamic modes. Chapter 7 refers to a vehicle for the future comprehensive study of vulnerability. It combines the four approaches in an integrated framework having the common features of network structure. Also, it supplies with the specified data input for them. The chapter gives good suggestions for the development and application of vulnerability analysis tools, matching to the best application areas. Chapter 8 elaborates the necessities for new associated research areas to fill in gaps in present accumulation. It also generates a research agenda inappropriate to underlying considerations. This book could be a useful material for researchers in transportation networks and for professionals working on design, management, and planning of transportation networks and services. Thank you very much, Haluk. Now let's sit back and listen to our interview with our special guest, Professor Bart Van Arem. Hello, listeners. In this episode, in September 2018, we are with Dr. Bart Van Arem from TU Delft in Netherlands. Over there, he became full professor of transport modeling sometimes in 2009. He is the head of the Department of Transport and Planning and the director of the TU Delft Transport Institute. He received his PhD in Applied Mathematics in 1990 at the University of Twente, and he worked as part-time full professor there from 2003 to 2012. It is also worth mentioning that he was a part of TNO from 1991 to 2009. His research focuses on analyzing and modeling of implication of intelligent vehicles. These implications can vary from human factor all the way to traffic flow on roads and networks. They have an instrument vehicle and a driving simulator, and the empirics derived from there will be used in very strong modeling and simulation components. Welcome to our podcast, Dr. Adam. So, uh, Dr. Adam, would you like to add anything to my introduction? Uh, well, thank you for this uh, very nice uh, introduction. I think it's very complete, and I'm happy to... Uh... Uh, to contribute to this interview. 
So, uh, let me ask you the first question from your research interest. Uh, could you briefly let us know what do you think? Will intelligent vehicles solve the problem of congestion? And if yes, how will it happen? Oh, um, yes. Uh, so, wouldn't we all like to have the ultimate solution to, uh, to congestion? Um, but I'm afraid that uh, we will probably still have uh, congestion in the future. Uh, so, we allow freedom of travel by people and uh, demand for traveling is, uh, is, is growing. Um, so, there will always be a, a, um, a balance between the demand and supply of, of infrastructure. Um, but I do think that intelligent vehicles uh, will add to the efficiency of, uh, of road, uh, road traffic. We cannot uh, completely eradicate uh, congestion, but for instance, uh, we could drive at shorter headways, uh, we could reduce the uh, shock waves occurring in, uh, in, in traffic, uh, we could make traffic safer, uh, reduce the number of, of accidents. Uh, so in that sense, I think intelligent vehicles uh, are going to improve uh, traffic flow uh, efficiency. And for instance, when we uh, would drive automatically, uh, then of course we can make much more uh, use of our time while we're uh, in the car. Um, and for that, I think also um, it's not only about uh, developing uh, smart cars with smart sensors, but also uh, communication between cars and between cars and infrastructure will be vital. Thank you, thank you. To follow our previous question, uh, let's bring up your paper published on 2017 in IEEE-ITS magazine, which talks about empiric uh, comparison of ACC on and ACC off in vehicles. It is titled as Driving Characteristics and Adaptive Cruise Control, a Naturalistic Driving Study. Please tell us about your findings and the outcome of this project. Oh, that's a uh, very interesting uh, uh, question. Glad you asked it. Um, so, previous research we've been doing was based a lot on modeling and making assumptions on how uh, automated vehicles or vehicles with adaptive cruise control would be driving uh, on roads. And this is a, one of the first studies in which uh, we used a number of vehicles and um, evaluated and studied the behavior of how people that use those vehicles in real life. So we had the opportunity to use eight uh, regular ACC vehicles. They were part of the lease fleet of a consultancy firm in the Netherlands. Um, Royal Ascroning Day of They also funded this research. And we let people drive uh, with and without ACC uh, each uh, for uh, several weeks. And we measured uh, the driving behavior of these people and also their appreciation of these, uh, these systems. Um, and um, the findings were uh, quite significant and relevant. So, uh, if we look at um, ACC driving at the moment, um, we found that uh, ACC cars, they use longer headways compared with um, human driving. Uh, so, whereas a human driver would use a headway of about one second or maybe 1.2 seconds, 
the ACC cars, they use a headway of 1.5 seconds. So this kind of means that uh, if in the future we want to move towards smaller headways to improve traffic flow efficiency, we still have a job to do in the development of more efficient ACC systems. Um, another finding that uh, came from that study was that we looked on how often people change lanes when they have uh, adaptive cruise control compared to regular driving. And also results there were quite significant. People um, use, uh, if, if they use their uh, adaptive cruise control, they, they stick to their lane more uh, than when uh, uh, in regular driving. And this was done in the context of right-hand driving being mandatory uh, as we have in the uh, European mainland. Uh, this is also quite important because, for instance, if we want to learn how it would be uh, if we have 20% of the vehicles equipped with adaptive cruise control and study that in simulation, we would need to uh, adopt our driving models accordingly. Thank you. How do people in Netherlands have accepted the ACC and Platinum? Has it become popular? Have you done any research about this? Um, as in many uh, other countries, um, I think the uh, development and the deployment and use of adaptive cruise control um, is developing gradually. So I would say that um, no more than 10% of the cars that are currently sold do have ACC and uh, people are gradually gaining experience. Uh, remarkably, uh, uh, most of these uh, uh, users are high-income males. So, uh, also in terms of uh, the type of users, type of population, I think there's still uh, room for uh, development uh, there. Uh, when it comes to platooning, this is um, uh, a more advanced uh, part. Uh, platooning is formally uh, not allowed on public roads. Um, and uh, we did have some experiments though on platooning. And I can say already that the first experiments that we did on platooning uh, was together with UC Berkeley uh, in the Netherlands uh, already 20 years ago. Um, so um, uh, the experience stems back from then. Uh, more recently, um, we have been doing uh, platooning experiments with trap platooning. Uh, this is uh, important and relevant for the Netherlands because our position in freight transport um, uh, in connection to the port of Rotterdam and our main port Schiphol is uh, uh, very significant. Uh, so efficient transport is important for us and we see truck platooning as a possible way of uh, uh, doing that also in the future. So um, in terms of truck platooning there is a, a large potential. Uh, and we have several projects dealing with the experiments here. Uh, and uh, after that question, what are the society implications of autonomous driving? You have done a research on this. Please share your point of view. Well, when I uh, kind of look at the impression on the level of funding that is going into uh, automated driving, um, uh, I have a feeling that about 95% of this, this research goes into the technology and still little, little insight is being gained on the societal impacts. But this could be uh, very substantial and deep. 
so for instance, um, we could look at uh, changes in travel behavior. So if I would be having an uh, automated car um, and I could use my time differently, then I might consider buying that little beautiful house at the countryside um, and I would have a maybe a two-hour commute, uh, but that would not be a problem because I could use my time differently. Um, that could lead to very different uh, spatial patterns in travel and in land use, um, and that could have very wide uh, societal, uh, spatial, especially spatial um, implications. Um, I would say also, in addition, uh, with electric and shared mobility, um, there are also new options for redesigning uh, cities. So a lot of space in the cities is consumed by parked cars, by roads, and uh, if you can use automated electric and shared vehicles, um, uh, you could use, uh, you could reduce the need for parking places, you could uh, use the space that you uh, have for recreational purposes, for commercial purposes. Uh, you could increase the quality of cities um, uh, a lot. So what I see now is that um, urban planners are uh, very, very much interested in these new ways of, um, of mobility, uh, including also, and I must uh, uh, say that, a combination with public transport, combination with cycling, uh, and especially when you have electric bicycles, this is becoming a very relevant transport mode, and, and walking. So uh, it's a very interesting mix that automated driving is going to have, uh, I would say, in combination with other transport innovations. What is this uh, transport week you have initiated in one of your courses? For the information of our listeners, let me include that uh, Bart van Arem, in addition to MSc course of Intelligent Vehicles for uh, Safe and Efficient Traffic, Design and Assessment, has a course in BSc in which he teaches Introduction to Civil Engineering and mainly he introduces students to the basics of transport planning. And this transport week is a part of this course. So please go ahead. Um. Thank you for this uh, very interesting uh, question. Um, every year, uh, TU Delft is welcoming about 400 to 500 new bachelor students in civil engineering. And um, it's a major enterprise to also teach the broad spectrum of civil engineering to those students. And in the course of uh, introduction to civil engineering, there is indeed this one week uh, which is focused on transport. In those, uh, in, uh, in this week, um, we teach students about the fundamentals of transport, like um, uh, supply and demand of transport, um, traffic flow theory basics, uh, these type of, of things. So, what is a transport network and how do you assign demand to a transport network? Um, of course, this is within one week, so it's uh, still basic. And the main thing that we challenge the student on next is a case study. So the case study represents the region of Delft, and we give the students um, the situation where one of the bridges in our network is taken out for 
two or three months for renovation. And it's unavailable during that time. And students need to develop solutions on how to maintain uh, transport flowing in that uh, network. And uh, dealing with those solutions, they can use new technology, they can build temporary bridges, they can use cycling, uh, public transport, um, so whatever they like, but everything comes with a cost, and um, we um, evaluate their solutions in a model that we have of the Delta region, uh, and we evaluate their benefits uh, against the money that they spend for their uh, solution. So, um, it's very exciting to have about 400 students working on this uh, type of problems, and very often um, the solutions, type of solutions that we get are out of the box. And yes, Bart van Eyre, you received the LEED award of IEEE-ITS in Yokohama in uh, October last year. Every year, ITS gives this award to whoever has made significant contributions to demonstrate leadership in uh, promoting ITS technologies, ITS Institutional Lead Award. Please tell us about this award. I was very happy to receive this, uh, this award. It's a big honor uh, for me, but also uh, this extends to the team of people I work with at TU Delft. And, uh, roughly, the people that I work with, the group, uh, uh, comprise about 30 to 40 uh, people. Um, in terms of the topics that we have been studying during the past years, um, uh, this is about studying how intelligent peoples interact with humans, uh, how they interact with uh, traffic flows, and what their impacts going to be on society. And indeed, um, uh, referring to the very first question, uh, to which extent will it solve congestion? Um, uh, referring to the uh, ITS magazine paper that was about uh, assessing the interaction with uh, humans. Um, so it's a combination with, uh, of research with people for, with a control engineering background, a human factor background, a civil engineering background, a mathematics background. Um, so it's a uh, multidisciplinary uh, program in which uh, I'm happy that uh, we've made steps to uh, develop new theories, new methods, and at this moment um, moving into empirical research more and more. Thank you. Bart uh, Van Aram, tell us about RAD. Is it right? It's called RAD. Uh, what is the main goal of this research lab? Um, the research lab automated driving Delft, not uh, in uh, in short, is part of a network of uh, locations in the area of Rotterdam, Delft, The Hague. Uh, it's about eight areas uh, where um, pilots or applications of automated transport are taking place. So it's a coordinated effort, and maybe worth to mention one of the uh, sites we are working with is a site near Rotterdam, it's called the Rivier Park Shuttle and it's a level 4 automation system that has been in operations for already 15 years and is developing into new stages. Um, in the RAT uh, 
facility, uh, we focus especially on the research aspects of automated driving in real life. And that is established on an area uh, that is regulation-free. So we have exemption of regulations, but uh, we work with existing regulations as much as possible to get uh, approval for um, uh, experiments with vehicles uh, from the roadway authority, from the uh, um, uh, area uh, manager, but also from the vehicle type approval authority and our ethics uh, committee. Uh, so it's a site where we uh, have established um, certain facilities now already uh, regarding zebra crossings, we have traffic lights, we have several uh, vehicles, uh, and we work there with uh, public and private partners. Um, the ultimate goal that we're working on also is to extend the research lab uh, not only to automated driving, but to urban mobility in a more general sense, um, to study uh, the interaction of automated driving also with pedestrians and cyclists and uh, regular vehicles. Yes, and uh, there are little vehicles in Rad. Could you tell us what are the purpose of each and uh, how they differ from each other? Um, currently, in uh, the Rad uh, test site, we have two uh, Toyota Prius vehicles that are uh, equipped for uh, automated driving, um, especially on the sensing uh, part, and they are meant for uh, doing research uh, on, for instance, to evaluate uh, crossing behavior of pedestrians before uh, such a vehicle, but also uh, these vehicles go out in the field and we can uh, study how people interact with the vehicles with and without uh, automation. Um, one of those private vehicles is uh, used especially from our my uh, transport group, and the other is um, by the robotics group, the cognitive robotics group, and uh, they focus uh, much more on the uh, vision development. So that's the uh, group of uh, uh, Professor Dario Gavila that we're working with intensively. Um, the second type of vehicle is a small electric vehicle, it's a Renault Twizy, and uh, this is a vehicle that we are developing uh, with our um, uh, rail infrastructure provider. They're interested in uh, making uh, this vehicle available at train stations for people uh, to take the vehicle, and after they reach the destination, they can leave the vehicle, and the vehicle will be able to drive back automatically to a next user or to a charging station or to the station. So this vehicle will be able to allow um, automated driving at low speed and uh, we are also considering uh, letting that drive on a cycling uh, path. And uh, for people who um, might not know uh, the Netherlands that well, uh, the cycling path infrastructure in the Netherlands is almost as extensive as our uh, normal road uh, infrastructure. So it's a very extensive uh, network. Um, the third type of vehicle is an automated shuttle. And uh, this is a vehicle that we have been developing uh, in the province of Gelderland to provide connections to the University of Wageningen and the train station 
uh, is one of the many um, automated shuttles that we see in operation uh, nowadays uh, meant to provide additional transport uh, in addition to uh, regular public uh, transport. Um, the fourth vehicle that we have is a small robot platform. Uh, we can use that for different types of applications. So uh, if you put a pizza box on it, then it becomes a pizza, pizza delivery. Um, but we can also put a, um, uh, a, a puppet of a pedestrian on it, and then we can use it in experimental settings um, uh, to mimic the behavior of a, a crossing pedestrian. Um, in addition to the vehicles, um, we have smart bicycles that can communicate also uh, and have advanced uh, uh, sensor systems. They are not automated, uh, but they are part of our equipment. Um, finally, I would say it's good to mention that we um, use uh, traffic lights um, provided by our industrial sponsors that the vehicles can communicate with. Thank you. And uh, what is your plan for future research? Um, my future research um, uh, would be geared at a concept that I would call self-driving cities. So what would it be, how would cities look like if we could have large-scale deployment of automated, shared and electric transport? We could even redesign cities there. How do people use them? Which type of technologies do we need for that? How we can um, change the um, spatial layout of cities? So something that I'm also doing with the faculty of, uh, of architecture. How will people interact with those systems? What will be the energy implications of the use of these, uh, uh, these systems? And um, so this uh, research on these type of applications um, is still scarce, but I see that um, uh, authorities, especially city authorities, are very much interested in engaging in this uh, research with us. And they also would like very much uh, to open up their cities for experimental deployment of these type of systems. And I think that is very important uh, that we um, uh, extend all the modeling work that we do also with empirical work uh, that will allow us to verify the assumptions that we do in the modeling using real-world experiences. Dr. Ayam, uh, will you be with us in Maui? As uh, everyone knows, the next conference of IEEE-ITS will be held in Hawaii in November. Oh, that would be uh, very exciting. Um, I organized uh, ITSC in, uh, in The Hague myself um, uh, some, uh, some years ago, and uh, Hawaii sounds pretty, pretty exciting. I have no final plans yet, um, and during that period, I have plans to visit China, Japan, and Australia. So. Um, I might do a real-world tour if I would include Hawaii uh, in that, uh, that schedule. Let's, uh, let's see. Yes. Uh, but uh, would you like to add anything? There are two things that I uh, would like to, uh, to add, and that would be more on a, uh, uh, a personal uh, 
basis. So, um, one thing is that uh, I would like to compliment all the volunteers um, in the ITS society that are currently uh, developing the society to a really higher plan and one of the uh, significant organizations in the field of ITS at the moment. I've been witnessing and been part of the ITS society from its early days and it has grown a lot in, in um, significance, in initiatives and I would like to compliment all the people that are making this, uh, this possible. Um, the second um, thing I would like to add is also a call uh, for all the people in the society in our field to keep working together. I appreciate very much the worldwide collaboration that we have in the field of ITS, uh, the exchange of research results and the positive feedback that we give to each other and even friendships that we uh, develop. I think it's important to cherish them, particularly in the current days where our political landscape is changing. I think there is a huge responsibility for the scientific world to maintain uh, proper contact and uh, keep advancing our world to a better world. Well, uh, thank you very much for sparing some time to talk to us, accepting to be with us. I hope we see you soon, Bart Van Aaron. Thank you for being with us. Don't forget to share and subscribe and check out our other media for other news. This podcast is sponsored by Ajmali Intelligent Transportation System Society. This was Dr. Mayam Kavishkar from IEEE ITS Society. Dear listeners, if you are interested in helping or participating in our program, please let me know. You can join us as volunteers and have your share of podcast every time.